Welcome to the Journey Beyond Divorce podcast, where we invite you into a journey of healing and personal transformation that will radically change your divorce experience, heal your heart while refining your character, and set you up to be effective and feel empowered as you navigate the practical and emotional challenges of divorce. I'm your host, Karen McMahon, founder of Journey Beyond Divorce. My divorce brought me to my knees, and it also transformed me and set me on this path to help you. Our team of JBD coaches support men and women to engage in divorce with more calm, clarity, and confidence through our one-on-one coaching, group programs, online courses, and free resources. There's some bitterness and acrimony in the divorce process, but that's transient. It's, it's going to fade with time in almost every situation. What's not going to fade is your love for your children and your soon-to-be ex-spouse's love for the children. Um, and there are a lot of assumptions that are made that you know, a spouse is looking for parenting time. They might have some ulterior motive. Gen- genuine, usually, the genuine reason is because they want to have that relationship. They want that relationship with the children to be preserved. It's more precious than anything else. And as as two litigants going through the divorce process or settling out of court, the parents are in the unique position where they know what's best. Below the assumptions, they know their child. They know what their child likes to do. They know their schedules. They know the, the times of day when their child is most active, most engaged, most involved. to the Divorce Roadmap series, comprised of 24 episodes designed to be your guide through each leg of the practical divorce journey. Be powerfully prepared as top experts in the field advise you on each logistical stage from the agonizing question of should I stay or should I go through the complex legal, financial, and parenting choices before you to your future plans for housing, budgeting, and co-parenting post-divorce. excited about continuing this series, the mini-series on children and divorce. And today, we're really drilling a little bit deeper into the issue of children and especially how to craft a win-win shared parenting agreement and schedule. And, you know, I just want to acknowledge that there's so much hostility and mistrust and acrimony. And so negotiating within that is challenging. And yet today we've got a special guest and we've got a lot of key points to share to help our listeners be able to do just that. We're going to look at uh, also how to keep the long-term needs of your children in mind. So especially if you're, uh, if right now you have toddlers, preschool, school-age children, that time doesn't freeze, that we want to help you to craft something that's going to bring them straight through to uh, when they're emancipated. And then the other key today is uh, 
the devil's in the details. And so to really, we're going to talk a little bit about making sure that you're looking at and addressing the fine details involved in creating a shared parenting schedule so that you don't find yourself arguing or having problems post-divorce. So with us today is a dear friend of mine and matrimonial attorney, Josh Hecht. And Josh is a partner of the law firm Sunshine Isaacson and Hecht, and he focuses his practice on matrimonial and family law. Josh has a really proactive approach with his clients. Not only does he believe in educating them on the law, and how it applies to their particular case. But Josh is really great at listening to the people that he serves uh, and in doing so is able to achieve what they want in their divorce. And so he consistently keeps his clients on track for what they're for because it's so easy to get caught up in the, the disagreements. and and in doing so is able to really have a favorable result for them. Josh practices both in Manhattan and on Long Island in New York. So welcome, Josh. Well, thank you so very much, Karen. And thank you, Steve, for having me on the show. Um, I just want to express my tremendous gratitude and appreciation for both of you, to both of you for um, bringing me on and Karen to you for that very, very thoughtful um, introduction. I'm really excited to be here today. Thank you. Yeah, so we're going to have so much to talk about, Josh. And before we jump into that, the negotiations and the legal piece of it, I just want to take a minute to acknowledge for those of you listening where you're at and what a tender time this is and and the fears that come up when you're trying to negotiate custody. I mean, no matter what your position, if you're a parent, there's a fear that you're not going to see your children as much as you want to, that that, uh, you may not be able to build the strong foundation or keep the strong foundation that you have. And, And so it's easy to be triggered. And what happens with our fears is... Fear is like a circus mirror. And so you may be envisioning the worst case scenario times a thousand. I know when I was going through my divorce, I was literally afraid of losing my children. And now I look at it and I think, well, there was no logic behind that fear. And so if you're in that position, it's so important that you take a step back and that you notice your fears. And the other thing is that you notice your assumptions because those two things are going to trip you up. They're going to cost you money and they're going to cause more stress and tension and acrimony. And so, for instance, I just want to run through a couple of things. Uh, If you're a stay-at-home mom, you may be afraid that, um, or or a stay-at-home parent, let me say, you may be afraid that the other parent hasn't uh, been as active with the children, and so they can't be. And that's 
that's an assumption that's not going to serve you well. If you're the wage earner and you haven't been as active, the primary wage earner, and you haven't been as active with your children, you may fear that as a result, you're going to be penalized and not be able to see your children. That's an assumption that doesn't serve you well. If you have very young children, your assumption might be um, that they can't be with the other parent. Now, I have a client whose uh, wife is um, just finished breastfeeding, and she basically said, you know, our child can't be overnight with dad because dad can't handle her not true, an assumption that doesn't serve. And so what we said in the beginning, which is keeping the, um, the best interest of your children up front can get clouded by assumptions that they really can't be cared for by one of the other parents. And, um, and so we want, we really want to encourage you to notice that. And in that vein, if you've if you're new to listening to Journey Beyond Divorce and our shows, we have an entire series called a 12 step divorce recovery series. And what we do in that series is we help you to begin to notice your assumptions, um, to get real clarity around what your fears are to be able to shift out of some stories that you have that don't serve you and to really get your head above emotional waters so that you can do this kind of vital negotiating uh, around child custody with a clear head and with confidence and being reasonable. And so that's the divorce recovery series, you can go to, if you've never heard of it, please go to divorcerecoverylifeline.com. Not only can you sign up for the series, but you can get a flash guide that highlights all of the 12 steps, which are just incredibly valuable. So I just wanted to mention that to anyone who's new and listening. Um, and I've had numerous clients who had fears and their fears were the biggest thing that tripped up the negotiating and their assumptions and that caused them time and heartache and money, a lot of money. And so as we begin to talk to Josh today, my hope is that as you listen to what he has to say, you're also paying attention to what's coming up for you and that you really go in and check out that other series if you've got a lot of emotions going on, because I know it's going to help you in the long run. So having said that, Josh, uh, I know you promote uh, win-win custody solutions with your clients. How, how do you approach that? How do you begin to approach uh, opening that conversation and getting clients to look for the win-win? Well, I think you, you alluded to it in, in, your, in your opening, where there's, there's, there's some bitterness and acrimony in the divorce process, but that's transient. It's, it's going to fade with time in almost every situation. What's not going to fade is your love for your children and your soon-to-be ex-spouse's love for the children. Um, and there are a lot of assumptions that are made that, you know, a spouse is looking for parenting time. They might have some ulterior motive. Gen genuine, usually, the genuine reason is because they want to have that relationship. They want that relationship with the children to be preserved. It's more precious than anything else. And 
is, is two litigants going through the divorce process or settling out of court. The parents are in the unique position where they know what's best. Below the assumptions, they know their child. They know what their child likes to do. They know their schedules. They know the times of day when their child is most active, most engaged, most involved. So when you're when you're dividing up money, it could, in most instances, it could be a win-lose where every dollar that's going into your spouse's pocket may be coming out of yours. It's not like that with children. With children, it's not the quantity of the time, it's the quality. It's you're preserving that relationship, doing the things that you mutually enjoy to, 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 to strengthen and foster the bond. So if both parents are willing to be creative, think outside the box, and do what's in their child's best interest, they could craft a schedule that is going to serve everyone's interest very, very well, including that of the children. And you also touched on... on um, being proactive and coming up with a schedule that is going to be both flexible as the child ages and matures, but also set forth the, the rules of the road through, for example, toddlerhood or adolescence or the preteen years or the teenage years, which are always difficult. If parents are willing to work together and address problems before they become larger than they have to be, rather than creating problems where none otherwise exist, they could foster that bond with their children and it's going to pay dividends for years to come. Well, and that makes so much sense. I, you know, when you said the word quality versus quantity, one of the things I recall uh, one of my clients fighting over was weekday evenings and seeing the kids and it, it went back and forth. And, you know, our children in today's day and age are often more overscheduled than we are. And I remember the client coming back and saying, you know, fought so much for this and I'm, I'm really just a taxi cab driver. Like that's not my quality time. We're running, we're picking up pizza, who's going to soccer, who's going to dance, who's going to something else. And so when you talk about quality versus quantity, can you speak a little bit more about some of the things that people should be keeping in mind? Sure. I, I had a case recently, um, where the party's child was, she was a junior equestrian. She was really into horseback riding. Both parents fostered and encouraged her interest in horseback riding. And she had one of those schedules where she was, you know, out every weekend or every other weekend at this activity or that activity. So the parents worked their parenting time schedule around her interests because that's when her daughter, their daughter felt most alive. That's when she was shining, and both of them wanted to be a part of that. So we kind of tailored the, the schedule around the daughter's interest to make sure that both parents could participate and foster that. And it served them well because, you know, regardless of how they might have felt about each other at the time, they both seemed to have almost they, – they lit up. They came alive when talking about their daughter, when talking about her interests and her hobbies. And that's where the quality comes in being there for those special times, being there for the events that are her, their daughter enjoys so much so that they could play an integral role and be a part of it. Because that's the, those are the memories that are going to last. And that's the time that's most valuable. 
You know, it, it reminds me of something uh, one of our previous guests uh, who was talking about communication. And one of the things that, that he said is it's so important to focus on where you're in agreement and the way you just described that, um, no matter how disagreeable parents can be, when you start celebrating your children and what they're accomplishing, there is this this mutual foundation, this beautiful ground. And so keeping that in mind as you're negotiating custody, I would imagine, could just be really, really valuable in crafting something that works for everybody. It, it is. It's, and it's not the easiest thing in the world to do because you're, you're overwhelmed with all of these conflicting emotions. And um, you, you, love your, you love your child, but you're beholden to these assumptions that you describe. And it's getting past the assumptions. And it's, it, to some degree, there's, a, there's a, a leap of faith that has to be taken to really start, to start the negotiation and, and really come up with a consensus or a... Um, a compromise that that um, serves everybody's interest. For example, the um, as what you described is, is not uncommon, where you have a stay-at-home spouse and a working spouse, and both are just trustful of the others of the other's motives um, in wanting to spend time with the child. Um, so, I, the way I've always approached these settlement discussions. Or meetings where where parents are discussing what's in the child's best interest and in negotiating parenting time. I've always let the other side speak first. Why is that? Um, and the reason I, I do that is because if if they get it out, if they express their concerns, their fears, their anxieties, what's holding them back, once they've expressed it, they've they've put down that weight. And they're more likely to listen to the other side. Um, at least, conversely, if if I've found that if, if I speak first or explain my my client's point of view or vantage point first, the other parents is often thinking about how they're going to rebut or retort. If if you actually give them the forum and the opportunity to express their concerns, you're in a better position to address those concerns. You know, and, and maybe it's, 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 it's like the situation of the little mouse that casts the very long. Shot. <laughs> I think that's such a great tactic to share with our listeners as well. The idea of listening and listening for agreement. And I think, and we touched on this in one of our previous shows, the concept of, especially when you're in conflict with someone, as soon as they open your mouth, their mouth, you're listening for where you disagree and then you're arming your next argument. And when it comes to the children, if you could shift that to listening for agreement, uh, and then building on agreement and putting aside where you disagree, like you can get to that. Uh, that's what I'm hearing you say. It gives the other person a chance to have the floor and share their concerns. But I hear you saying that you listen for agreement and, and that gives you a better starting point.
You've been listening to our podcast, Getting Educated, Regulating Your Emotional Reactions, and it's been really helpful. Yet you know you could do better, be better, and you're wanting and needing more support. That's where our coaching service is a game changer. We're here for you when you need us the most, ensuring you have all the tools and resources at your fingertips, guiding and supporting you to be more effective. Our free rapid relief call helps you gain a broader perspective, commit to your best next steps, and determine what coaching support is right for you. Visit rapidreliefcall.com to book your call today. For two reasons. I, the first is, as you noted, is really to disarm them and help them to understand that they have not just an adversary, but a partner in negotiation. Even if they don't agree, they're both looking to, they're both looking for a resolution to the issues that they have. That's first of all. The second, the second reason is is to address whatever those concerns might actually be. It really is educational, not just for for me, but for my clients. Sometimes, despite having lived with their spouse for years on end, they don't know really what their their hot button issues are as it concerns the children, precisely because of the situation that you described, where. As soon as the other spouse starts to speak or the other parent, they're shut down and, they're, and, and everybody goes on the defensive. So if, if, if you could create a little bit of goodwill early on in these settlement discussions, it, 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 can, carry, it can carry over and go a long way. Great. So let's move on to the details. Uh, you know, the, I, I like the saying, the devil's in the details. And I know that um, often I'll be coaching clients post-divorce and they spent so much time negotiating custody and here they are and they, they just they're dealing with issues that never came up. They hadn't thought of uh, one, one client said to me, you know, uh, I do the drop off in the morning at school. Uh, uh, mom does the pickup at the end of the day. If the child gets sick in the middle of the day, who's, you know, and both parents are working, like who's responsible. And it seems like such a minor thing, but if it's not hashed out, then it becomes this, this big question. Or, you know, I, I said, you know, we talked about Thanksgiving every other year. I thought it was the four day weekend. He or she thought it was just the day, like all of those little details that aren't so little once you start living it. What do you advise clients about in terms of that? Well, I, I agree with you completely. And because the devil is in the details, I think it's important to be as detail-oriented as possible. And that's and the issue you described is an issue that's immediate, that's pressing, that's here and now. And then you have the other issues where inevitably the child or children are going to get older. You described the, the mom who's weaning the child off of breast, breast milk. 
that toddler is, is going to grow. And the schedule is going to change. Parents' work schedules can change. Um, the children's schedules can change. Their activities are going to involve their friendships, their social circles, religious school, their interactions with the community. So there's a really a lot to um, take into account um, when you're drafting these agreements. And it's important to be as proactive as you can and try to address the problems or issues, I should say, or changes may be the better word, down, down the road. Um, with respect to Thanksgiving, for example, it's important to be as detailed as possible. For example, you could state that parenting time will start, the parents will alternate um, with pursuant to a holiday schedule, and maybe it'll start at 7 p.m., commencing on the last day of school at the beginning of the recess period, and it'll end at 7 p.m. on the last day of the recess period, right before school resumes. And it's wordy, and it sounds like legalese, but it's important because, you know, the, the goal is, the intent is, and the hope is that the parents are going to stick this agreement in a sock drawer, never have to look at it again, and they'll chart their own course because they're going to want to do what's in their uh, child's best interest. But this is, this, these agreements are insurance in the sense that if, if there is a dispute, the parents can go to this agreement and everybody knows the rules of the road. So I think it's important to have um, details with respect to the parenting time schedule, make sure everything is ironed out, whether it's holidays or summer recess or the children's birthdays whether they fall, or, or your birthday, whether it falls on a school day or a weekend or a holiday. And it's also important to iron out the details with respect to decision-making. A lot of these agreements provide for joint decision-making with respect to major decisions, like religious decisions, educational decisions, um, medical decisions. But what do you do when you're at an impasse, when you and, and the other parent are at loggerheads? There needs to be some type of a mechanism to resolve these disputes. So it's important to envision the possibilities in that regard. Um, one avenue that we, we often suggest is a parenting coordinator in, in high-conflict cases. So if the parents are truly at an impasse and they can't agree, there is a third party whose objective that the parents could go to to try to iron out or resolve these disputes. Um, sometimes we suggest mediation. Um, sometimes we suggest the, um, for example, with educational decisions, maybe the child's um, guidance counselor at school, or if it's a particular subject, their teacher in that subject to help uh, resolve the issue. Or if it's religion, the pastor or the rabbi. Or if it's a medical decision, the particular doctor who is treating whatever condition it might be. Uh, these are all examples, but the, but the broader concept is to envision the problems that may ar arise and address it directly in the agreement. Um, you're, you like the saying, the devil's in the details. I like the saying, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. If you could resolve the finer points of the agreement, um, 
you're gonna everybody's gonna know the rules of the road and you're gonna avoid a lot of potential conflict down the road This is a good time in the show to kind of separate out your typical divorce from your high conflict divorce, and um, and and even and even having said that, I'm going to say even the initial period of time post divorce where everyone still kind of has their coat of armor on, they're still used to um, battling. And then what happens as time goes by? Because I think it's really important. The bottom line is our kids do grow. They do have their own opinions. They do want to do what they want to do. And so sometimes we get stuck in fighting for hours, right? And and all of that detail when in the blink of an eye, we're going to have teenagers who are doing what they want to do and not, you know, abiding by who, who they're with for dinner that day or what have you. Um, and then the other thing is I have found with my clients, most times the, the standard divorce, it's, it's all worked out. It's like, you know, this came up, I want to take the kids here, you know, can we swap? And, and that works pretty smoothly because there's a level of cooperation. I think that when it comes to high conflict, uh, it's a little bit different and that that parents in high conflict could really get stuck in ongoing battles. And I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about that, about the high conflict divorces and what you can do in these early stages of negotiating to avoid um, to avoid having to go back to court. And these these high conflict cases Usually, they're an anomaly. Most parents, most parents place their whatever hostility or bitterness that they might feel at the time, which is usually a transient emotion, on the back burner and come to the table uh, in good faith and try to do what's best for their child or children. Um, you do, and I'm not saying that, that the parents in, in high conflict cases aren't doing that or that they don't have the genuine and sincere belief that they're working in their their child or children's best interest but there's just that conflict clouds their judgment um mediation often unfortunately does not work in those cases because mediation with mediation you really have to have some objectivity and perspective so you can move a little bit that's just what i have found but unfortunately, it's, if, if they go the course of litigation, it's going to be a stranger in a black robe deciding the fate of their, their child. And I know there's, there's one judge out here on Long Island who will, in a very effusive, nice way, turn to the father and turn to the mother and say, Mr. So-and-so, I'm sure you love little Johnny. I'm sure you care for him more than anything in this world. He's your anything and everything, and he'll and the judge will turn to the mother, and I'm sure, Mrs. So and So, you love your child. Well, here's the thing, and the judge will turn very stern, very quickly, and say, "I don't love your child. 
I have 400 cases on my on my calendar. I'll tr- I'll try to do what's in your your child's best interest, or what I believe is in your child's best interest. But you two should really go out in the hall and try to resolve this. And that's what happens in a lot of these high conflict cases. The, the parents realize that they're not going to find justice in the court, and they're not going to figure out what's in their child's best interest. So in cases like this, sometimes it's fatigue, and sometimes it's a question of bringing in the appropriate people to try to craft a resolution. Sometimes that's a psychologist or a therapist um, to try to help these folks along. Um, So we work with different psychologists, different therapists, and we try to create a very, very safe environment for the children for them to express their preferences, their desires, their fears. And, of course, age plays a major role in this as to how appropriate that is. And then we try to come up with mechanisms where things won't escalate to the point where these parents will be in court again. And that's where uh, therapists comes in, therapists come in, family counseling, uh, parenting coordinators, and as a last resort, perhaps mediation. Um, it's it's almost like the little button on the uh, on the tea kettle to make sure it doesn't explode. Right. Yeah. One of the um, I, one of the resources that I found I want to mention uh, is. Um, called custodyexchange.com and it's it's a website that really talks about the different ages and what's appropriate and gives just a lot of different options to choose from so if you're trying to figure it out and trying to be fair and you're just looking for more details and more research to do I really want to suggest that as a great website and I think you know t- to your point Josh, the majority of parents out there, your your I actually had a high conflict divorce and and after a couple the first few years were bumpy, but you just end up this is your new life and you you still both love the kids very much and you may argue and disagree, but for the most part, if you have enough teeth in your agreement and enough details, and if you're willing to not sweat the small stuff, which if you're dealing with a high conflict individual, someone, you know, with addiction, abuse, personality disorders, those kinds of things, uh, you know, you want to keep your children protected, but there's also a lot of sweating the small stuff that you can turn a deaf ear to and that that can allow you to, uh, live more peacefully with your children and with the agreements. I just, I just want to throw that in there. I think that really goes to um, respecting the other parent's parenting style. Um, major decisions, you you have to be discussed. Sometimes those discussions could be heated. But with respect to the day-to-day decisions and the parenting style, parents may differ. That doesn't mean one is necessarily right and one is necessarily wrong, but both styles have to be respected if we're going to if parents are going to minimize the conflict and that that brings us to a topic that we're going to be covering in more detail uh, down the road a piece which is co-parenting post-divorce and for those high conflict 
relationships, we're going to have um, a segment on parallel parenting and how you do that. And at the end of the day, though, if your children are safe, but uh, they're not necessarily getting the same level of academic attention or grooming attention or uh, extracurricular attention in the other household, uh, you really need to uh, keep an eye on how important is it in the big picture versus you know, increasing conflict. And so it's, we're not suggesting by any means that this is easy or simple, uh, it is very doable. And having that level of consciousness about what triggers you, where your assumptions are, where your fears lie, that self-awareness is going to be hugely beneficial in helping you go through this process, this negotiating process with more ease. Well, we we hope that everybody would be so enlightened, but it's 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 difficult for many to have that level of of introspection. But it's it's that introspection that serves them so well in in, in getting past the hurdles in these divorce cases. So, Josh, this has been really really helpful. Um, do you have any last words of wisdom or advice that you want to leave our listeners with? I, I, I think it circles back to trying to maintain any objectivity or perspective, which is the hardest thing in the world when you're going through the divorce process. And for every for everything in your life, whether it's finances or everything you've worked for, your marriage, your, your, your children really are your everything. So it's difficult to be um, objective. But if you could at least listen to the, to the other parent and try to figure out what, where they're coming from, what their hot button issues are, and what they're seeking to achieve from the process. And, to, and that's generally just maintaining that relationship with, with their children, then you're going you're gonna to be better served and you're going to be able to hopefully move on from the process with your dignity intact and your, and your relationship with your children stronger than ever. I couldn't agree more. Josh, how can our listeners find you? Um, well, they can certainly contact me at the Jericho location. Um, our office phone number is 516-352-2100. And uh, I would do anything and everything I can to accommodate them, and I'd appreciate their call if they have any questions or concerns. And you have a, a Manhattan office as well, don't you? We do, Yes. Okay. We do. And do you have a website that they could visit? Um, we do. It's sihlawyers.com. sihlawyers.com. So if you're interested in learning more, I believe you have a blog there too, Josh, don't you? I do. Yes, we do. Yeah. So, so, you know, feel free to reach out to Josh. He's uh, in New York, Long Island, New York, in Manhattan. And in terms of... As, as I'm we, sorry, it's, it's sihattorneys.com. sihattorneys.com. So jot that down and, and check out Josh. And we just really appreciate you sharing your, your experience and wisdom and, and advice uh, with our listeners, Josh. And I just I want to wrap up talking a little bit about um, 
when when you go through a divorce, it's a no brainer. I need an attorney, right? Like almost everybody wants to wants and needs and understands they need to invest in an attorney. And what's equally as vital is what Josh and I were talking about, which is that self awareness, and that is about you. Uh, being able to look in the mirror and say, well, what part am I playing in the conflict around the negotiation of custody or in the dissolution of the divorce or uh, the circumstances that are just have me so twisted and upset and, and struggling, what's my part? And that's where having emotional support comes in. And that's really why we created this uh, Journey Beyond Divorce podcast series and the 12-step series and all of the work that we do. Because when you actually can focus on yourself, um, you are able to make better decisions in every step of your divorce. You are going to save money on your attorneys. You're going to save time. You're going to have less gray hair. You're going to be able to see uh, your soon-to-be ex's perspective, even if you don't agree with it. See it and see where there might be space for compromise. And I would say more than anything, what happens when you do the kind of work that that me and my team of coaches encourage you to do is you feel more empowered because divorce is is an arena where so much is truly outside of our control with the attorneys and the judges and all this, that when you can find that thing that you can control, which is your thoughts, your perspectives, your reactions, how you engage, you begin to feel really empowered. And because everyone listening today has children, I'll just, I'm just going to throw in my two cents on having teenagers, which which, um, which can be snarky. And what we learn going through divorce, we have such an incredible toolbox for then navigating children who become teenagers and their job is to push the envelope and they've got a lot going on and they can be moody and they can be difficult and they can be defiant. And all of the triggers that I talk to when I coach parents around just parenting what we learn going through divorce ends up being incredibly valuable there. And so so I really, my biggest thing when I talk to people is divorce sucks. Turn the shit of divorce into the compost of a new and vibrant life and do it by keeping the focus on yourself. Of course, your friends and loved ones deeply care about you. But if you're honest, while they mean well, when it comes to your divorce, they just don't get it. And sometimes you leave those conversations feeling even more isolated. If you're lonely and craving connection and support, check out our high conflict divorce support group, where an intimate group of 12 people gather from the comfort of their homes to hear, see, and encourage each other while our JBD team of coaches provide emotional support and practical guidance. There's no reason to take this journey alone. If you've been yearning for support, go to journeybeyonddivorce.com backslash HCDSG 
and register today. every parent listening the very best of luck. I really want to encourage you and congratulate you in advance for staying level-headed and keeping your children front and center um, and and really crafting uh, an agreement that serves everyone. That's truly win-win. And by the way, if anyone listening in has a special needs child, our next and last show in the children's series is going to be with an incredible attorney uh, who specializes in negotiating and helping parents work through the details of co-parenting special needs children. So make sure to tune in. Thanks for joining us on the Journey Beyond Divorce podcast. I hope you found guidance and encouragement to help you along your journey. If you like my podcast, please take a minute to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. You can also visit us at jbddivorcesupport.com, where our team of coaches support both men and women through our one-on-one coaching, group programs, online courses, and free resources. Stay tuned for our next episode, and I'll talk to you soon.